Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body inclusive non diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland. Thank you so much for joining me. Maybe for this episode, this is less of a tea and coffee episode and maybe more of a beer or a gin and tonic episode. Oh, I just had such a wonderful conversation with Leslie Schilling. And unlike a vast majority of my other interview guests, um, I've actually never met Leslie, which is actually somewhat of a a weird phenomenon, Um, not only because a vast majority of my guests I have actually met, which is why I specifically invite them onto the podcast because I get to know them a bit before inviting them on. Um, but then also Leslie and I probably literally share about 50 friends in common um, and we we work in really similar practices. We're both sports dietitians as well as weight inclusive and eating disorder dietitians. We've been practicing for a similar amount of time. Um, and I think we've been to kind of the opposite events. So if Leslie goes to IADEP, then I go to ICED. Leslie goes to one workshop, I go to another workshop. So it's been a bit like that over the past, I don't know, maybe three or four years. So uh, prior to actually pressing record, Leslie, and I think we spent just as much time uh, chatting beforehand as we did pressing record. So by the time we actually started chatting, we'd actually kind of really got to know each other, which was just fantastic. And um, Leslie has a wicked sense of humor and um, she's a really, um, she's a real straight shooter. And I really, really appreciate her perspective on how to navigate some of the really complex situations that come up when it comes to working with athletes and active people and performers, as well as people who um, experience um, chronic dieting and eating disorders and sometimes all of the above, of course. So I'll tell you a little bit about Leslie and then I'll tell you a little bit about um, the podcast that we recorded which is why you're here to listen to it, obviously. So Leslie Schilling owns a Las Vegas-based coaching practice and she specialises in nutrition counselling for families or, um, of people of all ages with disordered eating concerns as well as professional athletes and performers. In addition to running her practice, Leslie serves as a performance nutrition consultant for Cirque du Soleil, which is really what we dive into here because uh, a lot of performers from Cirque du Soleil come from all over the world, from all different kinds of cultural backgrounds all different ages and body sizes um, and so it provides its unique challenges so we talk a little bit about Cirque. Um, Leslie is also an eating disorder specialist and also a supervisory consultant for eating disorder treatment centres in Nevada. With her warm, compassionate and entertaining personality, Leslie has been featured in media outlets like Women's Health, Self, Pregnancy Magazine, The Yoga Journal, By Cycling BuzzFeed, The Huffington Post, US News and World Report, and on HGTV. When she's not spending time with her family, you can find her spreading non-diet messages to her clients and speaking platforms across the nation. 
So you may know Leslie as the creator of Born to Eat. Um, she's also the author of the Born to Eat book, which has actually won awards. We don't spend tons of time talking about Born to Eat. We do a we do talk about it a little bit, but I would really encourage you to um, to listen to some of Leslie's interviews on some other podcasts, which I do mention at the start of the episode here. Um, often the guests that I have have actually been featured on other, other podcasts, and I really, really strongly encourage you to go and listen to them. This gives you a really nice background, especially if they've been on Christy Harrison's Food Psych. Um, it just really tells you a lot about them personally and professionally. So a little bit about our episode. So here we we really dive down into you know talking about the complexity of working with athletes, performers, and artists, and how to kind of navigate the diet culture bullshit that can turn up in all different kinds of um, areas of, of life. We also talk about the pervasive culture of underfueling in sport, and we really wax lyrical about some of the uh, more recent episodes where athletes have come up come out talking about um, how they were. In encouraged slash, well, almost kind of coerced and forced into chronic underfueling under the guise of best performance, which for Leslie and I as sports dietitians and eating disorder specialists too just drives us absolutely bonkers because what we understand is that a body that is fueled well, that's the body that performs the best and that the, this really pervasive culture of underfueling uh, dramatically harms our athletes and performers. Um, one of the... Um, one of the topics here that Leslie really talks about is what she calls metabolic injury. And I really enjoy that particular phrase because it gives us, uh, gives us a framework to understand how um, underfueling really influences different systems in the body and how we can then um, work towards repairing those systems and working together with our, our athletes and performers, as well as our coaches and other um, health team uh, support people as well. So we also talk about um, how to help and support the people that we're working with towards appropriate fueling and body trust through um, nutrition and, inf and, and, and intuition. We also talk about Leslie's famous lunchbox card and, and how to support families and kids, which is where her born to eat kind of um, a lot of her ideas around born to eat come from. Um, so yeah, we kind of dive into a lot of that, a lot of those conversations with um, uh, with Leslie. So um, Leslie reminds us that the lunchbox card was inspired by Dr. Katia Rao. And, um, and just a reminder for anybody, if you are in the Texas area or actually no matter where you are in the world, in May 2020, there is the responsive feeding therapy conference which I strongly encourage you to put on your calendar there um, and it is uh, all the links to the responsive feeding therapy conference which is in May 2020 um, links to um, born to eat book by Leslie um, links to uh, Dr. Katia Rao's uh, websites and then also all of Leslie's uh, website and um, where to find her on Instagram and Twitter is all in the show notes as well so I'm super excited 
excited to bring you this episode. It was a really fun one to record. We, um, you know, we we love to uh, we love to have a bit of banter. We also love to wax lyrical about all things diet culture bullshittery. Uh, yeah. So as I mentioned, this is probably not a tea and coffee episode. It's more of a, a, a spirits episode here. So I hope you really enjoy it. And um, thanks again for being here. Hello, Leslie, and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's so wonderful to finally connect with you. I feel like we've crossed paths numerous times over the years, but this is really the first time we've had a deliberate opportunity to sit down and really unpack a lot of things that we both are mutually so passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I know it's so funny that we're finally catching up and I'm, I'm glad to glad to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for giving your time. Really appreciate it. So, uh, so Leslie, you reside in the uh, fabulous city of Las Vegas. So tell us a little bit about what took you to Las Vegas and what life is like for you both as a, um, as a mum, as a person, as a dietitian there. What, what, what do you get up to in Vegas? Well, we've been here about three and a half years now, and we moved from Memphis, Tennessee, but the draw is Carolina. I'm from North Carolina, <laughs> so I like to kind of let people know that. And, you know, so we, in Memphis, I had a practice that specialized in um, eating disorders, disordered eating, um, sports nutrition, and family nutrition, and I was very fortunate to sell that practice to my colleagues there who now own Memphis Nutrition Group, and it's a fabulous practice, and they've just really done a great job with it. I was so happy to leave it in such good hands, and then, you know, came out to Vegas and thought I was going to take a sabbatical, and <laughs> that did not happen. Um, moved to Vegas, and um, right away got um, a book contract to start the book Born to Eat and started working on that. And just, you know, two or three months after that, I sat down with the head of, um, you know, performance and, and health with Cirque du Soleil and started working with Cirque du Soleil's um, athletes and performers and artists doing sports nutrition. So my sabbatical <laughs> still hasn't happened. Um, but you know, I love it here. My husband works at UNLV. He's in the nutri nutrition and kinesiology department and does some pretty fun research there. Um, he's my in-house researcher. I like to joke. And so, and when he's not doing his thing at UNLV and I'm not doing my thing here in my office, I have a small private practice here and, you know, I write for us news and world report and try to write for parents on, you know, seeing the sneaky diet culture, um, and when I'm not working for Cirque, you know, we're out hiking. It is, you know, you can do a lot of fun things here in Vegas, or you can just drop into a canyon and go hiking. And so we've really become um, quite the hikers. We have two seasons. We have when it's really, really hot and the rattlesnakes are out, we swim because <laughs> I don't, try not to do snakes. Um, and then, you know, this is the season right now. We're kind of in our peak for hiking. And so there's just so much to do. Um, out here that is, I mean, off the strip. And so that you'll, you'll see if anybody, you know, follows me on Insta, that's where I kind of put my adventure weekend adventures and hiking. And um, I like to say Vegas off the strip because people don't realize there's just so much nature and really cool stuff here. I mean, there's also, you know, really cool, cool shows and other things you can do, but um, we love it. We just love it here. And it's such a good uh, place to 
work with great athletes and performers and my husband gets to do military work. It's just a really, really great place to, to live and work. We've been really pleasantly surprised to, to move here. It's so interesting you say that because, of course, Vegas has the reputation as the, you know, the bright lights and the glittery, showy kind of, you know, the, the front of the of the city and you know what you're really describing is so much more than that you know the environment and the hiking and the outdoors and all the different ways that you can live in vegas so that's so awesome what a great yeah. opportunity yeah and i mean 300 days of sunshine <laughs> so when mm -hmm. my was trying to talk me into moving to vegas and he he got an offer like four years prior to us actually leaving and moving to vegas he got the second offer and he's like listen 300 days of sunshine and it might have been like a rainy season in memphis and i'm Sold. like I can, I can entertain that. <laughs> and so when it rains here, I'm like, what, what is this? What is this? I did not sign up for that, but it's usually really sunny and mild. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun and you can do everything or you can do nothing. There's, it's just a fun place to, to live and work. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's awesome. So Leslie, over the years, you've worked with lots of different kinds of athletes. And I'm so curious to find out a little bit more about how your Cirque du Soleil athletes and performers, how that's different to a lot of the athletes that you've worked with previously and what you've learned along the way. You know, it's so interesting um, because they're gosh, there, there are hundreds and hundreds of performers in Vegas that are in shows. And I work with people who aren't in shows and people who are in, in shows and, and lots of different athletes. And, and the thing is, they're also different. You might work with someone who's a dancer and then you might work with someone who's a contortionist or someone who's a, a, a gymnast or, you know, they have a background in uh, martial arts and they're also an acrobat or so they're just um, so many different types of performers that um, I get to work with that it, it that's what I love about it is I never know what what type of performer that I'm going to end up with I could have a singer I could have someone who's just flying on a harness through the, you know um, through a show or or whatever and and then to get to know them it's, it's great because, you know, I've worked on show where I'm sitting there talking and talking to someone who's completely painted. <laughs> like I would have no idea what they look like in real life. And I'm just sitting here giving this, you know, blue person nutrition advice. Um, <laughs> um, or, you know, and then I have someone, you know, sit across from me in my office and just, you know, just be this real person who um, might, you know, a lot of the performers that I get to work with are from all over the world. And so, you know, I catch myself just really um, up in my focus to make sure I'm understanding and um, hearing their background, how they were raised around food. And, uh, you know, I always want to know how someone was raised around food and where they get their nutrition information. And so the cool thing about it is just you never know. Like if I were working with, say, a, a soccer player or a pro basketball player or something like that, you know what you're, you know what you're walking into. And I, I just love that you always know you're walking into a human who has needs like the rest of us, but you don't really know what, um, what you're going to get as far as the type of performer they are. The other thing is, is so many of the shows, um, like in traditional, um, athletics and different types of sports, you have 
off season, pre-season, you have, you know, you have something, something that you work towards and these goals and they are on that there's no really off season unless every once in a while they get a couple weeks off for, for dark or vacation, but there's no particular off time. So we have to, when we're talking about recovery or we're talking about fueling during the day, it's just this thing that never ends. Mm. Recovery is all the time because many of the performers are doing two shows five nights a week and that's 10 shows a week. And sometimes somebody will have a stunt that's like super high intensity for five minutes in the first show and five minutes in the second show. Or you might have someone who's like, on 100% for an hour twice plus their training. So that's the difference is that there's really so many different types of performers and athletes and they have such an interesting and demanding schedule. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that the nonstop nature of it has you would need to work with with nutrition and fueling in a very specific way I guess because uh, you know, sports dietitians like you and I, where we are used to that kind of periodizing of, of nutrition mm-hmm. and goals and working together with athletes and often their families as well, if they're younger, um, you know, over, over like a, like a limited period of time or a set period of time from season to season or off season to off season um, that I, that I can imagine that presents a very unique challenge in lots of ways. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something I, I try to make very, very clear because you'll have athletes that transition from wherever they came from in sport to working, you know, as a performer and it being a very, very different lifestyle. You go from, you know, maybe competing once or twice a week or, you know, super heavy training here and there to your training, you're, you're doing, you're learning new stunts and then you're in two shows and then you go home and you get in bed at 1am and you start your day over again and you're in two shows. And, and so I really try to make the point that there's not an off season here. And if you miss, a, if you miss, you know, a meal on your way home from a show that you're, you know, you missed recovery and then you're, the risk of overtraining is super, super high. So we have to be very preemptive and making sure that we're, we're fueling enough. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine the that the um the focus for them would have to be so sharp, really. The demands across their life is just so numerous and and um and broad. I'm so curious to ask you a little bit more about, you know, with, with a lot of people's different backgrounds, the different body types, um different cultural uh, different places that they come from from all around the world. I'm so curious to understand a little bit more about um, how you specifically support them to adapt to a, a very Eurocentric, a very American um, mm-hmm. way of life in ways that help them to feel as settled as possible? Well, the first thing is, you know, I'm like, let's pay attention to where you get your um, nutrition information. Mm-hmm. Instagram is probably not the best. Um, I did, I did a little chat with a show last night and that was the first thing people said. I'm like, where do you get your nutrition information? And they're like, Instagram. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I'm like, let me give you a list of approved handles. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, it, it's, it's just so interesting how, you know, 
we just have to talk to people and figure out who they are and where they came from and, and what they value and what foods they love. I have a couple people that I'm thinking of right now that they're like, oh, I just loved this food that my mom would make, or I love that. I mean, and, and I'll hear things like, well, you don't eat that here. And I'm like, well, what do you mean we don't eat that here? <laughs> I'm like, you can eat anything you want. Let's figure out how to incorporate foods that you enjoy that also probably will you know, give you a performance benefit. And I think what people realize is when they, they kind of get dumped into a show, they really start to start, you know, putting their heart and soul and effort and time into the show. And then they forget to do the things like explore the markets or they just, they just don't do it. So that's where I come in and I say, okay, listen, we can go to this market. We can find some of the things that you really like and we can incorporate them. And, and you are very different than the person who's performing next to you for a thousand reasons you're different. So it doesn't matter what they're doing or what horrid documentary they watched. Um, you know, we have to do something very different for you and different is different. Different's not deficient. And different might be what you need to perform the best you can and to prevent injury and have longevity in the sport. Mm, yeah, for sure. Because I, I can imagine there is so many demands on the body that longevity would be something that, that the athletes and performers are really looking for. Yeah. And, and I will say, you know, if you're working with, you know, if you're working with kind of a veteran who's been in the field for a while or been in their role or through different different roles for a while they understand the culture they understand taking care of themselves they understand um how to have a sleep sandwich as I like to call it you know it's you're decompressing and it's one in the morning and it's time for the sleep sandwich it's time to put yourself to bed (laughs) that's the next on the menu and so they know to do that and when you have people that are really new to the show um, or new to performing anywhere, um, it's it's just getting in the groove. And a lot of this, a lot of what I do is help people schedule their days. Like, okay, let's try to go to bed by here. Um, let's tr- let's have this snack in your car for the way home. Let's let's plan a few things that we can do that make that are satisfying and pleasurable, so you can meet your needs and like the food that you're eating. Um, And then I talk a lot about if we're not front loading our day, you know, we have to fuel really, really well earlier in the day when we get up and then have another meal and a couple snacks and plans and snacks in between shows because it's such a span of time. If we're not doing that, we're really setting ourselves up for backloading the day and we can see some binge type behavior and, and, and things that really interrupt the sleep cycle for so many people. So I do a lot of just self care schedule planning and helping people build grocery lists, especially when they're not familiar with the markets here. And so um, I just love that that's what I get to do and, and give people permission to eat the foods they love, but let's plan them in in a way that make you feel the best. I mean, if you're wearing a harness that, you know, squeezes you and you're upside down for a little bit, that's probably not the best time for your favorite bean burrito. Let's find a burrito. <laughs> it's not good for the crowd. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I can imagine, Leslie, for some of the athletes and performers that you work with, that this would have may possibly have been their first, the first type of conversations that they have had with somebody professional around nutrition and fueling. Would that be fair to say? Oh, absolutely. I would say that's the case for most of the people that I've worked with. Um, there's another dietitian here, Nicole Kiley, 
who also works at UNLV and does um, all the sports nutrition for UNLV. And, and we kind of, we, we work together. Um, she sees, she was a um, martial artist. And so it's, it's good that we can kind of work um, with each other and, you know, at gymnastics, that's kind of my background. And, and she has this background of uh, martial arts. So we can, and we can kind of toss things back and forth with each other here and there to figure out what, what would help people the most. Um, yeah. To just to keep people um, on track and understanding what it's like to see a nutrition professional. Cause so many, you're right. So many people haven't done it before. And um, that, I mean, Nicole says the same thing, you know, what we're trying to do is help you fuel your life so you can perform all of your life, not just the show, right? So you can perform all of your life and have longevity. And, and that's not what people expect. People expect like, what supplement am I going to have? What am, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to cut from my diet? And, and I, we we're very similar in, in our, in our recommendations and practices with people. And so I think they're pleasantly surprised to work with someone who's really coaching them on giving them permission to eat. And there's, I would say so many times if they're getting their um, nutrition information from Instagram, uh, most of that is aesthetically based. And, and the thing that I tell all the athletes that I work with, particularly new athletes, is that if you're eating for specifically for aesthetics, so much is going to suffer. And, you know, so much is going to suffer. But if we really think about eating for performance, for this, this holistic performance, your whole life, sleeping well, performing well, having connections and the, the mental ability to hang out with people and carry on a conversation and not be underfed or, you know, overtired, then people are pleasantly surprised that there's just so much more to it than, you know, don't eat this and take this supplement, which is definitely not how I roll. No. Well, if we don't have the core foundations of our nutritional self-care pretty well set up, then the rest of it's not going to make a lick of difference anyway. Not, not at all. And then they're going to be tired and injured and in this cycle that does not promote longevity. And so, and, and the artist I work with, I, I mean, I have just been incredibly blessed to work with such amazing people. And when you tell them, please, please eat, you have permission to eat your, your body will, your body knows what to do with this. And we might need to be strategic, strategic around when you eat your Brussels sprouts, if you love them, but you know, your, your body is so wise and we can have the foods that you love and we can, you know, there, people just can't believe that's the information they're getting because of how diet culture has just hijacked everything, all the safe places. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, just prior to pressing record, you and I were having a conversation around this kind of pervasive culture of underfueling within um, athletics and athletics being, you know, sport, sports in general, both in the amateur mm -hmm. kind of leagues as well as the professional leagues. So I was wondering if we might kind of head in that direction and talk a little bit about how um, as health professionals, how as dietitians, we can really continue to um, to really promote this message around that adequate fueling is not the numbers that we think they are. It's usually way, 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 way higher. So, um, so, you know, how do you, uh, how do you coach people in understanding what their body needs and 
Um, and what kind of responses do you get from people when you tell them what their body needs? Well, people are blown away and I'm <laughs> blown away. And, you know, I use, um, uh, you know, I use some general calculations sometimes from, from the reds, 2018 reds, uh, you know, IOC paper about, you know, a minimum calculation plus then plus we have to, you know, fuel your body. People are blown away because they they think what my fitness pal gave them or whatever ridiculous you know tracker that they're using gave them no, knows the all the things that impact their bodies like hormones and sleep and all the things that you know can really impact your your metabolism and and they trust it and that when i tell people i'm like you know i mean I love, I love that you love an app, but I'm going to have you delete this one <laughs> because here's what this is doing. This, and, and this is not just apps. Sadly, you know, we've got fitness professionals and trainers and doctors and even dietitians, you know, like, like us and under fueling people because they think it's the right thing. And under fueling is, as can be really high, high, what's considered a higher level calorie level. And that's, you know, still under fueling people. For example, I have some, I have people write down, like, do you keep track of your energy levels during the day? Cause I want to know kind of, I'm really asking behind the scenes questions about, you know, what kind of dieting behaviors they have. And they'll tell me a, a caloric level or what they're doing. And it, it helps me dig. And then I, and, and a lot of times their goals are, you know, they're shooting themselves in the foot with their goals around performance with these really low levels. And I talk about the starvation studies and like, if we really look back to the key studies in the fifties and I'll say, well, what do you think the starvation level was? And they'll, you know, come up with crazy, crazy low things like a hundred or 200 calories. I'm like, Nope, keep going, keep going. The starvation levels were 50 or around 1500 calories. And when you tell people that jaws drop and, it's just one of the most effective tools I've used in the last year or so is just to say when, when we were starving people, that was the caloric level that we used for research purposes. And now we, we do it all the time. I mean, have we forgotten? And because this restrictive um, promoting this type of restriction, and we know that people, people, recommend less than that, you know, and hopefully people will start recommending a whole, whole, whole lot more. But when we have that type of recommendation for restricting the intake, um, we are causing metabolic injury and we are harming people. And I think that it's, I tell people that I'm really upfront with people. I, I'm not, I'm not the tiptoeing kind of gal. I don't tiptoe around a situation when I think someone's being harmed. And and I think you, you and I were talking and <laughs> chatting on Facebook when the Mary Kane story came out about her having reds and, and I'm sure people are listening know, but the relative energy um, deficiency in sport, I like to drop the S because pretty much everybody I see, and I'm really confident in that, like for at least a decade or more, even before reds came out, like this is what, this is what I see. There's nothing rare about it. I love and commend her and think she is so brave for bringing her story to light. Um, and she is not alone by a long shot. And so we, 
as professionals have to stop doing this restrictive caloric mass with our with our clients and just teach them how to eat because one day they're not going to be these crazy active whatever they are they're just going to be normal they're still normal people but you're going to take this this piece of their their life away or change it or look different and then how do you live how do you live if you don't know how to take care of your body and so that's i've been talking a lot about this this the starvation numbers and and I tell people, I don't tell you numbers to stay there. I tell you numbers to shock you into eating more. <laughs> Usually I'm like, you know, and I'm like, and, and I can't even predict it. You know, it's just an equation. I'm like, I don't live in your body. I don't, I don't know what hunger feels like for you. And then coaching people to use that nutrition intu intuition, um, you know, use what your body is telling you. I mean, like for sport in sport for years and years and decades and decades we've thought oh my gosh if you're hurt please stop let's get you checked out by the atc how would you why why do we not think ignoring hunger and ignoring fueling our body is an injury the same way because it is it's like we can see somebody hobbling around with a boot but you can't always see metabolic injury that that quickly and so we really have to be aware that that's what restriction is yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure. So do you have your favorite kind of screening questions or tools that you use to, to assess for under fueling or restriction or is that, or is it just more part of your interview that you do that? It's, I don't really have specific questions. I do have um, questions on my intake that, you know, um, I ask questions like, do you like to cook? Do you, um, I, I even have age of first diet <laughs> on them. Mm. You know, if someone would identify as a chronic dieter, um, I will put age of first, I ask age of first diet. Um, I do ask things like, um, what do you consider to be a healthy diet? I'm using my air quotes. Cause I like to know, you know, people have lots of different values and people have learned things, um, along the way, you know, maybe in their health class, sadly, um, that, that have been, a lot of people just fall into these type of restrictive behaviors really innocently, you know, sadly, because I like to, in, in the States, you know, we have education where there's common core guidelines. And I like to say diet culture is common core. We plant those seeds really, really early. So we have to be so aware of, of that and how to help people not feel bad for internalizing that because they were taught something that they had no choice in was a very insidious little seed that was planted and, and, you know, watered by our culture. Um, and so a lot of those things come out in the interview and I ask about how did you grow up around food and, you know, how did you, you know, was food a big deal? Did you eat when you're hungry? Did you eat with people? Did you, you know, were foods ever off limits? So I do, I, it's a lot in the interview, but I always ask the question, do you, do you track your food? And if so, what, energy level do you stay at? Because that gives me so much information. I already know what I'm walking into when I know someone is very particular about their tracking. Is that, are they the kind of questions that you would recommend every sports dietitian needs to be incorporating in their assessment? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think you've, you've got to know some, how someone grew up around their, around food. If someone grew up thinking that certain foods were off limits or you know, we have to help them 
we have to help those them navigate the untruths that were learned in well-meaning homes and schools and churches and all the safe places that diet culture lives. Um, so we can help people slowly unpack those things. And I think I think asking those questions are very important because, you know, I am sure early in my career and hopefully not now, but possibly because we're all still learning that, you know, I'm not missing eating you know, I know I missed eating disorders really young, and I probably colluded with them. You know, I probably said, oh, yeah, two exchanges, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure I did all, <laughs> all the things that, um, you know, I wouldn't do now, thank goodness. Um, but, yeah, we need to ask the questions. We need to know. Um, gosh, it tells you so much if somebody would say, oh, yeah, bread wasn't allowed in my house growing up, and now they have a hard time eating it. I mean, that, that tells us that we've got some work to, you know, unpack around their nutrition development and feeding behaviors growing up. Mm-hmm. And as you and I are both really aware, you know, sports nutrition science, it changes quite rapidly. Uh, and so, you know, early on in my career, for example, the kind of recommendations that we were giving because of the research that was available, um, that that things really change over time and something that seems really promising and, and quote unquote popular actually, you know, a couple of years later, we're like, uh, yeah, no, maybe not like, yeah, no, maybe not. Or, or maybe suitable for some athletes in very specific situations at very specific times, as opposed to, oh yeah, this sounds good for all athletes at all ages in all bodies and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, so that's, one thing that a lot of sports dietitians can definitely uh, observe, especially those of us who've been, you know, at this at this game for a while, that remaining not only humble but then also flexible and open-minded, that things can change really quickly, um, and that every single person sitting in front of us is a human being. They are not a machine. They're not a bunch of numbers. They are thinking definitely thinkers, <laughs> definitely yes. thinkers, but also feel as they have an emotional world as well. They have a psychological world and they have often an embodied and a somatic world as well, which can actually be a powerful tool for athletes. Like you were talking about appetite before and what we understand about a lot of athletes is that often, you know, high intensity performance in sport can play funny tricks with our appetite um and so learning uh, and, and also uh, the uh, the other aspect that that athletes kind of get trained into is the idea of how to cope with pain as well and that yeah. pain <laughs> regular non-athlete people would just kind of go pain no not good yeah. whereas athletes <laughs> are like pain this could be good is this good i'm not sure how much pain is okay <laughs> so there's this there's this interesting, you know, um, reflection that is demanded of athletes around interoceptive and somatic awareness, which encourages them to really be more attuned to their own needs. But at the same time, sometimes they can get coached out of that. Well, it's like, ignore that feeling, ignore that sensation, because if you ignore it, that could lead to performance gains, you know? So Absolutely. (laughs) And that's, and that's so true. And I think that makes, it makes it really tricky. And then, you know, it's something I I love to say is like sports nutrition is not sexy. Sometimes it's eating another peanut butter sandwich when you know you need to, not because you're hungry, but because you're using your time logic as an athlete. And you know that this is the time you have to eat before the next thing that's coming. Um, And you know that you had a couple hours behind you 
you know, since you were able to, to eat last. So it's like we, we use our nutrition intuition and we try to be super mindful about that. And, and I will say talking to, um, you know, talking to athletes and performers and pretty much everybody about interoceptive awareness and paying attention to their body and what's going on in their body. And you connect it to what their coaches may have asked them to pay attention to. And they're, and then it's like a click, like, Oh, okay. So when I feel this pain in my hamstring, I know I don't need to push it much further because the ATC and PT told me that this this is not good. So I've got this, this pain awareness, but what you're telling me is when I have this gen gentle, empty feeling here that this is kind of that subtle time for the snack that I should be, or moving into a meal and, and it, using that parallel is really helpful for athletes that are that in tune with their body. And so that's been really helpful for me. And I will say, I've just been making that connection in the last couple of years where <laughs> I've been able to, you know, experience my own levels of pain with injuries and then say, oh, I could really, I see how we could use this to, to kind of parallel into, you know, trying to prevent this metabolic injury that is so prevalent in sport, because sometimes our coaches are saying, just push through that too, or silly things like, you know, don't eat after, you know, a or a show or whatever because you're trying to do x y and z and I and something else I think the Mary Kane story brought to light is you can have there are really really good coaches out there really good compassionate coaches that see see people more than operators they're they're humans right and then you have people who are former athletes that become coaches that have no business being coaches um so it doesn't, it doesn't matter how good an athlete was. It doesn't mean they're going to be a good coach. And so I think we have to navigate that as sports dietitians too. Um, you know, I find myself being kind of the, you know, the telephone operator of, of, all of the teams to where I'm like, I'm communicating with this person and, you know, this person is doing extra training outside because of the coach said this. I'm like, how can we um, help, pull a team together, but make sure guidelines are that we're giving are on the same page and not causing, causing a, a client to, or an athlete to go down the rabbit hole of restriction that is going to lead to metabolic injury, bone injury, um, you know, mental health issues, depression, sleep, all the things that we see happen with underfeeling. Mm. And I think the, the other thing that a lot of even dietitians don't necessarily appreciate is that underfueling can also arise in many insidious ways, that it's not always connected with disordered eating or an eating disorder. It can be a timing issue. It can be an um, energy issue, a sleep issue. Um, it, there can be lots of different things going on. And actually, sometimes underfueling starts off unintentional and oh, then, yeah. yeah, in fact, I think probably often does. And then mm -hmm. over time, perhaps slips into something that becomes a little bit more of a pattern, uh, a little bit yeah. more entrenched as some of the behaviours become uh, perhaps praised in the athletic environment and therefore that metabolic injury kind of slips under the carpet. People don't bother to check in around, for example, hormone levels or sleep quality or, or mood um, and, and that those things for athletes 
might actually accidentally get misplaced. You know, for example, you know, I'm feeling really, um, if they're noticing that their mood is off, if they're noticing it at all, they're like, oh, well, maybe I'm not training hard enough or maybe my, maybe I should cut out x y and z you know maybe i'm eating gluten and shouldn't for example or you know <laughs> yes. so, something like that um and so many of the symptoms of underfueling are very overt and yet are not picked up at all oh, totally and and you're and you're right so many people just fall into it very innocently you know or or like oh i want to eat more vegetables and so yay you're eating more vegetables that's fantastic. I'm so glad. But in doing that, maybe they're eating a little more than they need on their plate and displacing some of the other energy providing foods that, you know, they might need in in that setting. And so you're right. And then it plays out where we've got, you know, I'll work with someone who's comes to see me for anxiety or just fatigue or sleep concerns or GI issues. I was working with someone the other day and, and she was primarily here because her, her guts were hurting, you know, she's just like, uh, you know, I've got these GI concerns. And when we really dig into it, she's trying to eat more vegetables, but she's eating way too much fiber. Mm. And, and then when we look a little further, she's under fueling and, and she's just trying to, I'm using my air quotes. So she's just trying to be healthy and she fell into it very, very innocently. Um, and she was like, I'm not, I want to get stronger and I'm, I'm not getting stronger. So I'm staying longer at the gym and now I'm anxious and I have fatigue and all these things that we're complaining about. And then like, Oh, but maybe we should eliminate gluten because I have this GI issue now. I'm like, no, 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 no. And you know, somebody said the other day, so it's like trying to change all four wheels on the tire on, on a car and then, you know, change the spark plugs and do all these things looking to fix something when you really just needed an oil change or you really needed just to fill up your gas. And I'm like, exactly. And so what, what we try to do is like, let's rule out under fueling and then we'll look at these other things, but under fueling can cause everything that is you're complaining about at the moment or you're saying that's really bothering you. And so, and people are like, wow, really, really? And then that's where you go back to, you need a lot more food than you think you need. And our culture keeps us underfed. So it makes sense that, that you innocently kind of fell into this trap. And so, cause all of our conventional guidelines, I always tell my, you know, conventional guidelines are not really appropriate for anyone, much less our athletes. So uh, I love to, to joke about that and just remind, remind people that, you know, our culture will keep us under fueled. And once you get fed and you feel better, you're going to be walking through our culture with a truth. A lot of people don't have, and you're going to feel a whole lot better. Oh. Absolutely. So, you know, essentially it's countercultural to be out to feed ourselves adequately. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Next to someone who's got like 14 self-imposed restrictions. It's, it's really hard because all of, all of the stuff that's going on now and just food and diet culture is so contagious that we really have to you know, help the people we work with understand that like you may be the only person <laughs> doing what you're doing at the table or in your milieu or, or in your group. And that's okay. Like different is different. Different is not deficient. And I hope we can really 
help you move forward. And I, I always joke and say, if, if I'm going to have a mascot in my office, my, you know, the diet culture mascot is this salmon, you know, swimming and jumping upstream and trying to get around, you know, trying to get around obstacles. And that's sometimes what we feel like. I think even as, you know, sports dietitians and eating disorder dietitians, I mean, we can feel that way as well. We're not immune to it, but letting our, our, the people that we work with know that it's normal to feel the way you feel, like feeling different when you're feeding your body appropriately because you are swimming upstream. We live in a sick culture and a culture that, you know, teaches us to underfuel from a very early age. And if you have that knowledge, I think, I think it helps people to feel, you know, helps people to move forward fueled. Yeah, absolutely. It makes such a valuable contribution to dismantling and interrupting the intergenerational transmission of diet culture as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and that's so true. I've got a few clients now, they're like, I'm like, when you get up to that table and you're getting ready to think, you know, you want something and you're scared to eat it, I need you to ask yourself what the salmon would do. What would the salmon do? <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> what the salmon would eat the cake. Let's eat the cake. <laughs> You know, what would the salmon do? <laughs> what would the salmon do? The salmon's going to eat the cake and the salmon might even just like splash the other people too. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, that's, that's been helpful as just like the visual of it's okay to swim upstream. It doesn't make it wrong. It makes it different. And I think there's, there's more life swimming upstream because we have more fuel to live in. Absolutely. Well, if you think about it, the, staying with the theme of salmons, you actually need more fuel to swim upstream because the force, you know, kind of you know, flowing against you will be pushing you in the opposite direction. So you actually need more fuel on board. See, yes. we're, we're building this analogy. That's in all the right absolutely, ways. absolutely true. You, you need the fuel to, to do that and to navigate our culture. My daughter um, <laughs> has been... I've been training her to be a salmon since she was as you know early as possible. And the other day she raised her hand in class and, and said um, to a teacher who was talking about, and we're talking about self-control and then I think sugar got dropped in there. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, since she was two and, and we could, and something came on TV that I had to address, we've used the term propaganda. And so she raised her hand in front of her whole class and asked the teacher if this was going to be health propaganda. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I am, I know I'm going to get called to the principal's office, but I do not care if she can be armed with like at least questioning. I'm like anything you hear about, you know, buying groceries and healthy and unhealthy and good versus bad and moving your body, anything you hear about that. I want you to question it. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but I want you to know that you will learn untruths in school and you bring it home. And, and I'm like, home is where we decide the values around health and wellness and well-being. And I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it will help build resilience uh, in, in her. I know it's already started building rebellion, which I'm sure I'll pay for in other ways, but I'm okay with it if, if, we, if she can be resilient in, in our culture. There are just so many things, even a fluency lesson she had last year was Beth goes to the grocery store. Beth likes to buy grapes and 
you know, grapes and oranges or whatever. And then the comprehension on the back was like, what does this story say about Beth? And the question, the answers were, um, healthy, sloppy, or lazy. (gasps) That's a first grade reading assignment. And so you've got these athletes that started with this type of garbage in their reading homework, you know, that move through life. And all that story taught about was privilege, Beth's privilege that she could put those in her grocery cart. And all we know is that she likes to shop. (laughs) We know she likes Mm -hmm. to shop. We don't know anything about her health or her body or, or anything, but very quickly dichotomize. If you're not healthy, you're sloppy or lazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it was, so I think we have to teach our athletes just like our children about, you know, there's a lot of health propaganda and we learned how to spell that word that day on that, that, um, Oh, uh, oh, your daughter is going to be so sassy. Actually, she probably already is sassy. Good for her. She's so sassy. That is awesome. (laughs) Do you know, it was so funny when you were talking about, um, you know, home is where we make our decisions around and food and eating and, and decisions we we make for ourselves and how we take care of each other and et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking there, you know, one, one thing I'd be so tempted to say is yes. And home is where, do you know how much mummy and daddy owe on their university study? So we know more. Cause <laughs> that, that is funny. Cause she did say she's the teacher asked her, like, why would you ask that question? You know? And she's like, well, my mom, <laughs> is, and she said a nutritionist and I coached her. I'm like, well, say, you can say that, but say registered dietitian nutritionist. But, um, she's like, well, my mom does this. So she's like my little PR girl, <laughs> but, but you're right. It's, it's, you know, and I, when I volunteer to help out with something in her classroom, I have to, I actually have to kind of justify my recommendation and say, listen, nutrition, health, well-being, it's not my hobby. It's not my, it's not a hobby. Side project. It's not a side project. It's it's what I do. Mm. It's what, you know, it's, it's what I do. It's what I, um, you know, my, it's what my husband does research in. It's, 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 it's part of what we do. It's our education. It's our profession. And, and there are times when you've got someone who well-meaning said, somebody mentioned this on Instagram the other day about, I mentioned something about my daughter's homework assignment and somebody said that a well-meaning mom was like, yeah, I was thinking about teaching the kid macros. And she's like, oh, back the truck up. You better back away from these kids. You know, like we have a lot of well-meaning um, people, sadly, um, signing up to possibly cause harm and, and plant those seeds that of that developmental feeding and eating behavior piece that we have to work really hard as adults to, to unlearn. Mm. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it is hard work too, because of the patterning that becomes so deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's so hard to, it's hard to unlearn. It's doable. So, yeah, it's like, doable. Right. The, the person who couldn't eat bread, I'm like, we're going to eat bread. We're going to eat a lot of it this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Bread. Delicious. Great fuel. Very. <laughs> Um, Leslie, one thing, one other thing, as you were talking, it reminded me that I remember um, several years ago now you had this, I think, it. I mean, I wonder if it's probably been the most shared uh, product that you've ever 
developed and that is your lunchbox insert card. So can you tell us a little bit about how that lunchbox card came about and where people can find a copy of it? Because I think it's absolutely brilliant. Well, well, thank you. Um, it is. It came from Dr. Katia Rowell, who's the feeding doctor, and it was in her book, uh, Love Me, Feed Me, and she so was so wonderful. When we were writing Born to Eat, she took the manuscript before we submitted it for publication and just lit it up, and she gave us the best, the best information or like you know, I see what you're saying here, but what about families who don't have those means? And, you know, what about this? And then she gave us permission to use that in, in our book. And, and so I had been using it for years prior to um, publishing Born to Eat, and I have it laminated still. And it was the laminated card that I posted um, that goes in my daughter's lunchbox. And Again, she's, she's this little rebel already. And somebody told her to eat her growing foods first. And she just held the card up. And <laughs> like, you don't get to talk to me about my lunch. Here's my mom's phone number. And so the card basically says, you know, I trust, I trust me to provide me as a parent to provide for my child. And I trust them to eat whatever I've provided them in any order, regardless of whether it's air quotes, um, a dessert type food first. Um, if you have, you know, any issues, please feel free to call me. Here's my cell. And I appreciate if they need help opening the package or whatever, I really appreciate your help. And so it's a, it's a tad snarky, um, which some people think it's a tad snarky, but I think it's just really to the, to the point. And, and, you know, Dr. Roel is just such a phenomenal resource in our, um, in our just our field of you know weight neutral health at every size family physician who helps with feeding and eating development and it was just such a wonderful thing to include and she she really helped make born to eat better all around and that was just one of the things that we were really grateful for and it's on her website on the feeding doctor the lunch i think it's the feeding doctor you just Google the feeding doctor and the lunchbox card, and I promise you'll find it. But um, and it's also uh, it's also in our book that you can make a copy. And I've laminated, made many copies, and laminated and and have them in all the lunchboxes. So, <laughs> but now my daughter has learned to just ignore anybody that says anything to her. <laughs> Completely ignore them when it comes to her food. She goes, "I'm just going to listen to my tummy," or she'll say, "Mind your own plate." To people. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> Because she she's still young and she doesn't have to have that burden of, you know, the, the right response to the right person at exactly the right time. Mm -hmm. So to just have those, um, just a, a choice of three things, say something quickly, walk away or, you know, mm -hmm. go, go tell an adult or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah. go tell or she'll say mom. food is food. Yeah. She'll right. say food is food. And then if somebody keeps on her or says something about growing food, she's just saying, mind your own plate. <laughs> I love that. Yes. <laughs> Go the sass. But she, yeah, she's sassy. I'm sure I'm going to pay for that. And I already pay for it a little bit, but you know what? I'll, I will take it. But she's me. She is, she is my child. My mom's like, yep, here you go. <laughs> yeah. What goes around comes around. Don't complain to me. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, that is where the card came from. And I would say when it, it you're, you're right, it is the, it is probably the largest or most shared social post we've ever had. And every year at probably over the last three years around back to school time, it, it people are still commenting and, and, and sharing and, and resharing. And, you know, we can't take the credit. We just, we just got the permission from the creator, but we have, you know, we feel like it's helped a lot of people and we're glad that to put it out there for the feeding doctor as well. She's such a phenomenal resource. She sure is. And on that note, um, something that I'm sure you're aware of already, Leslie, um, there is the, um, the conference that um, Dr. Katia Rao and um, Grace Wong and Jenny Rothglen, I think her name is. I'm not too familiar with Jenny, but mm -hmm. they're hosting a um, responsive feeding conference in uh, May of 2020 in mm -hmm. Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I so will be there. You will be there. <laughs> I will I, be there. <laughs> I wish I could be there. I will actually be in the States at that time, but um, I can't attend the conference, unfortunately. Um, but for anybody that's around then, um, just keep an eye on the Mindful Dietitian, either in a newsletter or um, on the events page of the website or um, in our Facebook group. And, um, and you'll see plenty of posts about that conference, which is incredible yes. value, by the way. Oh, it's so incredible. And my, oh. my sister is, a, is an SLP. She's a speech language pathologist. And she was one of my feeding specialists for the book Born to Eat. And she does early intervention and feeding. And so she has, she knows like in her, you know, in her discipline, she's like, oh, these, these are the people that, you know, all these amazing feeding experts and, and responsive feeding are all in one place for, yeah, it's very, very uh, good price. So, and I'm excited to be, my sister lives in Dallas. So it's, you know, it's a good thing for me to, for us to go do together, which will be interesting to do something professional together because we haven't done that in a long time. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Excellent. That's awesome. Um, so, oh my goodness. So where can people find out more about you, Leslie? Because I know you've got a website and you're fairly active on social media. So I'm sure there'll be lots of people after this that are like, let me find out more about this person. <laughs> well, my website is just leslieshilling.com. And as far as social, I'm, I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Nutrition Leslie, but I really hang out mostly on Instagram. So my mom's like, why aren't you posting anything on Facebook? I'm like, I only have mental energy for one platform woman. Give me a minute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so um, Instagram is just at Leslie Schilling and that's kind of where I hang out. And again, website, LeslieSchilling.com. And yeah, that's where I'm at. Easy. And is your website the best place for people to find out more about Born to Eat or is that available across some different platform, across different book buying you, platforms? You can, you can definitely get, um, get to Born to Eat through my website. It is there. Um, you can also, I mean, it's available anywhere books are sold. It's also available now in Spanish and on Audible. Oh, wow. That's really cool because I know how important accessibility is to you. So being able to have those different ways that that people can access it is incredibly helpful. 
we were super excited to to do Audible. So mm -hmm. that was that dropped last year. So it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun uh, writing and doing the Audible recordings because Wendy Jo was still in Germany at the time. She's now back in the States. But yeah, it was fun to write a book and, and do some fun recording when you were uh, co-authors on a, a different continent. It was good. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, Leslie, thank you so, so much for all your expertise, for your wisdom, um, for all the wonderful examples you gave of your work and the way in which you really brought sports nutrition and um, the insidious nature, nature of underfueling to life. I'm, I'm so grateful to have had you on as a guest. Well, thank you so much. I was super happy to be with you today. Great. Well, I look forward to catching up with you. Hopefully next time it might be in person. You never know. You can always cross our fingers. Um, and in the meantime, you really take care. And again, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.